there's no greater joy in life than becoming a mom or dad. And just when I got the hang of it, my own mom and dad started needing help too. If you're raising kids and helping aging parents, welcome aboard. You're one of us in the sandwich generation. This is the Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey. Chris was an offensive lineman with the Super Bowl 21 champion New York Giants. Today, he is an estate planning and elder law attorney in South Bend, helping families make the most of their home field advantage. Hello, I'm Chris Godfrey, and welcome to the Sandwich Generation. It's been said that what the soul does for the body, Christians do for the world. In other words, they create an environment that help us to live life to the full. And that's what God is about in this world. When the angel appeared to release the apostles from prison, he told them to get back to the temple and continue telling everyone of this new life. And our guest today has followed this command in many different ways during his life. And I'm most grateful for the role that he played as chaplain for my team, the New York Giants, back in 1986. Reverend David Bratton is married and father and a grandfather. He served with the Campus Crusade for Christ and Athletes in Action for over 30 years and has served as the chaplain to both the New York Yankees and the New York Giants, where we met many years ago. He's a longtime board member of Life Athletes, an ecumenical initiative to further the respect for life, and he earned his undergraduate degree in English and a graduate degree from the Dallas Theological Seminary. He and his wife, Donna Lynn, reside in the Villages, Florida. Welcome to the Sandwich Generation, Dave. Thank you, Chris. Delighted to be with you. Now, we had not one, but two chaplains with the Giants, and you handled the chapel service, and Father Ken Moore offered Mass at the same time during our pregame schedule. And Father Ken had an impressive sports background, just like yourself, except he was a few years before us, and he filled the same role for Vince Lombardi with the Green Bay Packers back when they were winning the first couple of Super Bowls way back when. And I remember walking with him once past the open door of chapel on our way to pregame meal. And then the chapel was still going. We got a mess finished early. And I remember him just kind of shaking his head going, I don't know how they can talk so long. <laughs> but <laughs> but even though the, 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 the two of your contributions were different, I, I thought the two of you deserved a lot of credit for our success. You know, as I recall, you guys got Super Bowl rings too, didn't you? Yes, we did. And we had great leadership in the in the Wellington Mayor as well. But it was a wonderful environment for just good fellowship, you know, because of our love of Jesus and our commitment to our faith. And I was reminded of something that Bill Parcells, another guy that you know quite well, he shared with us. He was a young coach, as you recall, kind of knew when we were getting started with all of that. And he'd go to these off-season meetings and he once shared a story of one of these coaches' meetings. And after dinner, they were all together, all the coaches of the NFL. And the, the, the question that was put before them for after dinner discussion was, what makes for a good football team? And some wise guy shouted out, good players. Then, then Chuck Knoll, who had, I think, what, five Super Bowl rings on his hand at that time? Right, yes. Yeah, so he stood up and he said that your good players are good people. That was the secret. And and as we know, to be a team player, you've got to be an unselfish person. And that was, you know, the message that you shared with us by sharing the, the example of Jesus. And you just made us, you just raised the tone in the locker room. Did you, did you have a sense of what you were accomplishing among us? Probably at the time, I didn't, because 
I looked back at my time with the sports teams and there were times when I felt this is really rewarding. Other times, this is really frustrating. So you didn't see, and in the moment you didn't see and you didn't know, but you hoped and certainly you prayed for the fact that what you were sharing, what you were trying to live out in front of these guys mm-hmm. would grab their hearts because this is something that's not taught, it's caught. Uh, and it's probably harder these days because it's gotten to be such a big business and it was a little more loose back then. But even then, your contacts were somewhat limited, right, by our demanding schedule. They were limited by schedule, but the Giants were an incredible organization in opening the doors to me. Ray Perkins was head coach when I first came. Mm-hmm. And I would stand outside practice and greet the guys as they would go onto the practice field. And then when they would come back off, I'd be there to say hi to them. And one day he just looked at me and says, Dave, come on in. And from then on, I was in practice. I was in the locker room. I had had a player invited me into the locker room prior to that. And I felt a little uncomfortable going, but he said, look, I'm asking you in so you can come in. I'll take care of you. And I tried not to be too intrusive. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a different world and a lot of things are going on. And you had the constant pressure of winning or dealing with the loss and the temperature in the locker room could change quite wildly, couldn't it? I was usually not in the locker room right after a game, but I learned quickly after a loss, you never ask a guy, how are you doing? They, <laughs> they weren't ready to, to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, your work with the Giants wasn't the first time that you worked with a Catholic priest. In fact, one of your earliest assignments had you working with a future Pope of no small repute. Would you share your experience with us? Well, I'd be glad to. Just let me give you a little background. When we began ministry, we spent five years in campus ministry in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. And then I went, as you said, to Dallas Theological Seminary. I was still on staff with Campus Crusade. And after our second year there, I had a missions requirement to fulfill for the seminary, and the organization that I worked with also wanted us to be involved in summer opportunities that they provided. And at that time in 1977, one of the opportunities they gave us was to to go to Poland, it was still under communist control at that time, and to work at some camps started by a Polish priest by the name of Father Blachnitsky. He invited our staff to come in because a young man of Polish background from Chicago was studying in Krakow. And he had the opportunity to meet with Cardinal Wojtyla. Mm-hmm. He showed Cardinal Wojtyla the materials we were using. And Cardinal Wojtyla's response was, I wish everyone in Poland could see these. And that kind of opened the doors for us to, to come in. Father Blotnitsky invited us in. And so we spent the summer of 1977 working with young people. Talk about the sandwich generation. We were working with younger people Mm -hmm. who were attending camps. We had to be quite careful because the secret police would follow us around and Mm -hmm. and we had to just be very cautious in our activities. At the end of the summer, Father Blotnitsky invited me to come back because he was starting an institute training priests to work with young people. So I gave him all the reasons why I couldn't come because I'm starting my second year of seminary. I'm taking... I've already taken one year of Hebrew. If I skip a year, I'll probably flunk out. And he said, no, you can bring your books with you. And I said, well, I've got a son who's starting first grade. Now we'll get you a tutor and all uh, that kind of stuff. And so we went back and we could only go into the country two months at a time. We, my wife and I both went on student visas mm-hmm. and I was teaching priests 
in the area of discipleship and focusing a lot on studying the scriptures and applying scriptures to daily life. That was probably one of the most rewarding years of my life. I never got to see or speak with Cardinal Wojtyla, Pope John Paul II, but we did go on the uh, pilgrimage to Czestochowa Mm. for the Shrine of the Black Madonna. He was there, but all the attention was turned to Cardinal Vyshinsky, who had just been released from prison by the Uh communists. So everybody was focused on Cardinal Vyshinsky, not realizing the importance, the tremendous impact that Cardinal Wojtyla was was going to have on the Catholic Church in years to follow. Yeah, well, Cardinal Wyshinsky was quite a guy, and the two of them had a, a wonderful relationship. It was a nice mentor for him. So you're you're dealing with three variables there. You're you're dealing with a younger generation. You're dealing with a whole other culture, and then you're dealing with uh, people living under communism and those pressures. So let's let's look at these three segments of what you're doing. First of all, dealing with young people. What did you have first and foremost in your mind when trying to communicate meaningfully with them? I hope they'll pay attention. I hope I can make it interesting enough for them to grab on to to what we have to say. And the kids ranged in age from junior high up to, there was a uh, seminary student attending the camp. He may have been an assistant at the time, but but he was one of the men that that, that I really got close to and eventually got to, to do some training with later. But you always are concerned of whether or not you as an older person, and I was in my, uh, I was just turning 30 at the time. You know, and I had <laughs> really long in the tooth. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to connect with them. Are they going to listen to this old guy? Yeah. But they did, and it, it uh, made an impact. Just to give you an example, we moved to the villages eight years ago, and a few years ago I was asked by the Knights of Columbus at one of the Catholic churches down here to come and speak about my experiences with the with the NFL and Major League Baseball and NBA teams. And the young priest was there to open in prayer. And he had eaten and I had eaten and they were having a meal. So he and I began to talk. And I found out he was from Poland and he had been influenced by this movement that my wife and I were working with back in the 70s. Of course, he was not around at that time, but he told me how working with uh, the Oaza movement changed his life and moved him in the direction to desire to serve God. And here he was in the United States having an impact on the men, especially at uh, St. Mark's. Wow, that's a great story. And and it must have been music to your ears. You do things and you never know what effect they'll have and to be able to experience that. What a blessing. It, it, It certainly was. And that's the way I looked at my ministry with the ball players as well. And then, and then you're dealing with another culture, the Polish culture, and then you're dealing with uh, folks who are living under communism and had been for some time. From a professional point of view, what did living in such a regime do to the young people's souls? Was it a noticeable impact? Or? Well, it, I would describe it as what you see in any time of oppression, tragedy, people are drawn to God. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard the story of men getting together with some Catholic priests in Poland and saying, please tell us your secret to getting people to come to church under communism. And they said, ah, it's very simple. We open the church doors and we ring the bell. <laughs> because, because the Polish people saw the Catholic church as the only institution, the only organization, the only living organism that could stand up to communism. Mm-hmm. 
Unfortunately, as happens many times around the world, once the threat of communism fell away, materialism came into the country Mm -hmm. and you saw a tremendous change in people's attitudes. Mm -hmm. And they had other distractions and other things that attracted them and pulled them away. Mm-hmm. We saw the same thing here in 9-11. Right after 9-11, our churches were filled. Yeah. Six months to a year later, not so much. And we're living now with a, a challenge of our young people that probably don't have a very good grasp of our history, even our recent history of dealing with socialism and communism, now kind of flirting with it once again. It's a sort of a materialism that just, that's distracting us, but other sorts of ideologies is there Is there something you would say to this generation? I think the one thing I would say is there are things that you have not heard. There are things that you are not aware of. And I would just ask you to be open, to be open to hearing. And that's difficult in our culture right now because this nation is so divided. We've seen friendships torn apart over ideologies today, whether you're one party or another party. And it is so caustic. It's difficult to get the younger people when we, the, as an older generation, can't set that kind of example for them. But it begins with us being willing to listen to them. And then we earn the right to be heard by them. We've got mm-hmm. to be willing to listen. You're listening to The Sandwich Generation on Spoke Street Media. I'm Chris Godfrey, and my guest today is Reverend David Bratton, who has had a long and interesting career bringing Christ to others. Now, I first met your work in pro sports ministry, actually through Athletes in Action, and a colleague of yours up at the Green Bay Packers, Steve Newman, and uh, they didn't have a Catholic chaplain at the time. So I was having us going through a spiritual time myself, a bit of a, a, a reconversion, if you will. And I profited greatly from the Bible studies that I went to and probably much like was experienced in, in Poland and something that John Paul II saw as so important. And uh, some passages really jumped out at me at that time. And I held on to them and they're still with me today. And I also got to meet a lot of young families who were Christian and, you know, having having kids, you know, number one, getting married. You know, uh, I mean, I was thinking like getting married, that's terrifying. And I had a, a special girl who is now my wife for 39 years. But at that time, pulling the trigger made me nervous. And I remember walking up to one of the guys in the Bible study said, so uh, what's it like being married? And it looked at me like I had two heads. What kind of a question is that, right? I said, that's an important question. What, you know, what, do, you, what do you think? I said, it's okay. <laughs> but it, it, it really had a, a very healthy, strong impact in my life and gave me some courage to take that step, you know, to step out and put out into the deep as scripture taught us. So you're dealing with young men who are both married and single at this time. And that that seems to be a big difference. How did you handle that? Did it seem that big to you at the time? I, I knew that the Bible study we had attracted primarily, but not solely, married couples. Husband and wives would come together, but there were a lot of single guys. Mm-hmm. Mark Bavaro was single at the time, mm-hmm. came to the Bible study. Stacy Robinson, who you remember came to the study. There were a lot of single guys. Zeke Moat would come to the study. So, But my concern was I'm having a difficult time reaching some of the other single guys who don't have an interest in spiritual things because they see me as a, a married guy, an old guy with kids. And they again, they can't relate. There's always that generation mm-hmm. that, that we had to deal with. 
but and you said something that that really struck me, Chris. I saw this a lot with professional ball players. Many ball players are not sure when they meet a young woman, is she marrying me because of who I am or because of what I do and what I can provide for her? And that was a difficult one. That was one of the toughest things I had to deal with. I was able to perform some marriages. Sadly, as you know, in the NFL, many marriages break up after the career is is over. Mm-hmm. That was really, really tough dealing with. And so I would spend a lot of time in counseling saying, look, it's not just about here. It's not just about now. It's not just about beginning. It's about continuing this on once you've ended your career because it's not going to go on forever. Yeah. Now, you're also the uh, chaplain for the New York Yankees. I uh, served as their coordinator. I coordinated the chapels. I study with them as well. Yeah. And it very had some successful teams back then. None that ever went to the playoffs. In my entire time with the with the Yankees, we never made it to the to the World Series. The year before I started, they were in the World Series. And the Dodgers won it in 1980. And I began uh-huh. then coming in and working with them in 1981. I got a call. You remember the name Dave Swanson. Oh yeah. Dave was the man who really had these ministries started, but was waiting for somebody to come in full time and work with him. Mm -hmm. One day in 81, he called me and says, Hey, there are some Yankees here who want a Bible study. I said, okay, talk to them, have them figure out when they want me to come and I'll be at the stadium. 30 minutes later, he called me back and says, they don't believe you'll come down anytime that they want you to. And I said, Dave, that's what I'm here for. Tell them whenever they want me, I'll be there. So they decided Friday afternoons at four o'clock, I lived in New Jersey, driving <laughs> in and out of the city on Fridays was brutal, yeah. especially in the car I had. <laughs> they prayed me home many times. <laughs> well, you know, the baseball players were a different kind of animal. I remember having spoken to football players and, and uh, baseball players in kind of a chapel sort of a mode with my life athletes work and very different experiences. Was that your your impression as well? Absolutely. You know, in the the NFL, you had an itinerary laid out for you from Saturday through Sunday. You knew when you had to be at the stadium. You know when the buses were leaving. You know when the air you had to be at the airport. You knew when the plane was taking off. You knew you were told where to get your keys at the at the hotel where you were staying. You had a schedule of when your meetings were going to be and when chapel was going to be. In Major League Baseball, we would go in and find the, the player that served as the chapel leader and say, okay, when do you want to do it to, today? Well, the, the managers called a meeting. It looks like our batting practice is at this time. So right after fielding practice, we'll come in, go to the go into the visitor's shower. We'll meet in the shower. Okay. Quite a completely different experience. And yet there were many, many guys that that uh, would, would attend. I, I remember uh, one chapel service we had uh, – out of 25, we had well over 20 guys, including some coaches there. Oh, very nice. Yeah, a lot more stress in, in, in pro football. So after 33 years, you retired from pro sports ministry to accept an assignment at your church, an evangelical free church, and you were giving pastoral leadership to about just about every demographic <laughs> within a church that you can imagine. Is it possible to uh, identify particular spiritual needs that are generally what each demographic needs or a place where they're at given their time of life? 
it is, it's more difficult, I found, to move those people in the direct, they don't always recognize the needs they have. So, for example, we had some singles come to me and say, Dave, we want to start a singles ministry in the church, but we don't want it to be a meat market. We don't want people just coming to meet. We don't want some guy coming just to look for a woman to meet. You know, mm-hmm. we don't want some woman coming just to just to find a husband. So you had to be be careful with that. And I found it particularly difficult with the seniors, the older generation, because many of those people had the attitude that I've done my service in the church. It's time for the younger people to, to uh, step up. All I want to do is be able to come and have our potluck dinners, have a Bible study, and then we go on a day trip to visit the covered bridges in New Jersey. You know, that was a tough, tough mindset to deal with, to get them beyond that. Because one of the things about being down here in the village is it is a 55 plus community. And and our church has a a great saying, if you're not dead, you're not done. Sorry, (laughs) right. If you're not dead, you're not done. And it's a, a church that people are extremely engaged and very, very active. And it's a thriving, thriving church. It's easy to do because it's a monogenerational church. Not so easy do, to do in a multi-generational church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had an uh, elderly priest friend who sent me a note recently. He said, Chris, keep at it. There's still time left on the clock. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then, so I asked him, uh, are we on offense or are we on defense? <laughs> offense. Always on offense. Always on offense. One of our mottos down here is play hard, pray hard, finish well. Oh, very nice. And so, so you're in, you know, arguably the nation's largest playground for the over 65 crowd, right? And, and so what, what is it about that area other than the climate that attracted you and that could be gainfully captured by other sorts of places around the country rather than coming to Orlando? What, what's so appealing? I would sum it up in one word, lifestyle. We came down here. I was thinking it was just a golf community. There are over 3,000 social clubs here in the villages. Any kind of interest you have, you can be involved in, Mm -hmm. active in. It's a very altruistic group of people. They are extremely generous. The giving that goes on, not just in the churches, but through different social clubs that meet, the veterans clubs uh, that meet, the uh, mahjong clubs that meet, the, the pickleball groups that meet, they are all all involved in, let's do something to help others as well. So that really surprised me to see that it wasn't just a group of people who were down here to, ah, okay, now, now it's time for me just to have fun. They were, they were about more than just having fun. And I was also surprised. I thought it would be, and it is a wonderful mission, but I'm amazed at the, at the number of churches, large churches that are packed. Now, there are many, many people who live down here that, that aren't involved in church, but I was surprised at how many are. Yeah, it sounds like a, a, a well-running team. It's kind of like the same philosophy that you help build in the, in the clubhouse for many teams, right? The sense of we're in this together. You know, can't be can't be a success, successful team with selfish players. We've got to be giving. That's true, and that happens on an individual basis, a group basis. But still, there are the detractors down here who wish things weren't like they are, or let's make these changes, or they're 
they're trying to raise taxes too much. And so you do have a little conflict that has been going on, but you're not going to find any place that's perfect this side of heaven. That's right. And the same the same battle takes place within all of us, right? To be selfish or to, to be self-giving. And it continues on right to the very end, right? Finish and well I, is what your that's motto is. exactly right. And I had a seminary professor tell me, he said, if you find the perfect church, don't go there because it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> that's right. And the, po- and the point was, there is no such thing as the perfect church. Yeah. We are all striving and working and trusting to become more conformed to the image of Christ as an individual and as a body of believers. Mm-hmm. That's what we're working toward mm-hmm. as long as we're still on this earth. And you're doing it in whatever environment you find yourself in, whether it's a clubhouse or... That's right. I told when we left the church in New Jersey, I told people, we're going to a different place. Ministry will take place at a different pace, but my purpose is still the same. Mm-hmm. To see people come into a loving relationship with a living Savior, to grow in that relationship, and then be able to share that with others and demonstrate it and live it out and help others. Dave, you you and your colleagues and, and athletes in action are, around the country were very helpful and uh, and still are in the work of Life Athletes. In fact, we served together for, for many years as members of the board. And it's all about good relationships first with God, then with others. And we had a you know, heavy concentration talking with young people. So they made good relationship decisions. So they weren't putting themselves into a position where an abortion looked like it might be an answer. And so, as you know, it's like, it was like rolling a rock up a hill in the culture that we're living in. And now we're, we're looking at the other end because our life our life athletes commitment is not only towards the unborn, but also the elderly. And it sounds like you've got that same commitment and the same emphasis on good relationships in right order where you're at now. And I know that you and Donna Lynn also, speaking of your your bona fides and a sandwich generation, also took care of your elderly parents. Well, my dad passed away at age 70. So my mom lived in Southern Illinois and developed dementia. So there came the time when we moved her to New Jersey and realized that as a caregiver, I knew that because I was working at the church, and if we brought my mom into our home, that would put a tremendous burden on Don Lynn. So we decided that's not the best. And we looked around and found a place close to us where we trusted the staff who would take care of her, and we could visit her two, three, four times a week. My sons could go up, take the grandkids up. We'd go into the to the rec room and, and put the grandchildren on the pool table and they would roll the billiard balls around on the table. And my wife has memories of my mom with her walker chasing one of the grandkids down the, the long corridor of the, of the <laughs> uh, assisted living area. And so it was great for mom and it was great for us, but it didn't overtax us. Now we have Donalyn's dad down here in Florida. And it's interesting, the the church we're involved with, the denomination has a 501c3 that builds long-term care facilities. And they built one right next to our church. So that's where Donlin's dad is. So we're over there two or three times a week before COVID. We were bringing him to church now, and he's living in a place where he he gets the services live stream. And uh, we have an unusual church. We have a drive-in theater. 
And so we were able to continue having church services. Even during COVID, people would pull their cars up and have the huge jumbotron, and we would uh, we would watch the services on that. And we would we'd bring him over for the services. He'd sit in the car or for concerts that we would have. Oh, that's neat. Well, as friends of God, our growth in holiness is accomplished mainly through finding Jesus in our environment, wherever we may find ourselves. And this is as true for professional athletes as it is for caregivers and those who are being cared for. And the Christian faith was spread mainly through simple people who in turn taught the great ones of the world. And I'm reminded of John Paul II's father praying the rosary every night with his young son, Carol. Amidst the grief of losing a wife and mother, the two of them found strength and hope through this new life that we've been talking about, the greatness of which was later manifested in a universal way through the son's later career. So Dave, thanks for being with us today. And most importantly, for your faithfulness in spreading our Lord's light and love, and especially in our New York Giants locker room many years ago, place that most people would be uh, surprised to find existed, but it was truly the secret of our success. Chris, thank you so much. And what a pleasure and honor it's been to work with you with life athletes all these years and to see how you've taken the, the concept of the importance of life and expanded it. it. It goes beyond just the issue of abortion. It's the, the sanctity and dignity of all life. And I'm grateful for what you've done with this tremendous work. Thanks, Dave. I'm Chris Godfrey, and you've been listening to The Sandwich Generation, where we are better because of each other. And I look forward to being with you the next time. If you have a question about today's topic, feel free to email us at sandwichgeneration at redeemerradio.com. Comments by the host or any of his guests should not be construed as legal advice. If you would like to learn how to protect your stuff in three easy steps, call Godfrey Law Offices at 574-237-9000 or email them at info at godfreylawoffices.com. And... For a free will offering, you can receive a copy of the Friends of God Rosary Booklet. Go to RedeemerRadio.com forward slash sandwich and fill out the form for more information. You can download this or any other episode of our show by searching The Sandwich Generation wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and subscribe. You've been listening to The Sandwich Generation with Chris Godfrey. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.